0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. He replied, What do you wish me to do for you? They answered him, Grant that in your glory we may sit, one at your right and the other at your left. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We can. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or at my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant at James and John. Jesus summoned them and said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones make their authority over them felt. But it shall not be so among you. Rather," Whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's important for us to understand the context of the gospel that we have just heard. The scene that immediately precedes the gospel that you have heard is Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. And on their way to Jerusalem, Jesus was explaining to the disciples that. The Son of Man, Him, the Messiah, would be handed over to the authorities, would be condemned to death, would be crucified, and would eventually die, but would be raised after the third day. That was the context of this particular gospel that we heard. So Jesus was explaining to them about the impending passion, death, and resurrection It's interesting that as Jesus was telling his disciples about all of this, the response of James and John was, there seems to be a cognitive dissonance in here. It's like, okay, Jesus explained to them, guys, I'm going to die and I'm going to be crucified. And the response of the two disciples, James and John, Lord, I want you, we want you to do for us what we will we want you to do what we will gonna ask you what we will gonna ask from you anything that we will gonna ask from you we want you to do for us whatever we ask you you know it just doesn't really jibe with what jesus shared with him as Jesus was telling them that the Messiah will offer His life as a ransom for many, meaning Jesus was teaching them about the virtue of humility, of self-sacrifice, and the outpouring of oneself to the other, the disciples were sliding the opposite path of self-centeredness, of egoism, of power. And authority. But I was asking myself, where did, John, where did James and John get the boldness and the audacity to tell Jesus, Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. Just imagine this, if somebody comes to you and tells you, I want you to do for me whatever I ask you, what will you going to say? What will, how will you gonna react? And I was just like, where did this two get this boldness and audacity? Well, scholars were saying that among the 12 apostles, among the 12 disciples, James and John were actually the only blood relatives of Jesus. They were, um, in the other version of this story, in the Gospel of Matthew, It was not actually James and John who requested for the most important seat, but who requested in the other version of this? Their mom. (laughs) And we were told that the mother of James and John was probably first cousin of Mary. So these two were practically thinking, we're relatives. You could... Trust us more than the other brothers because we were going to make sure that it stays in the family. <laughs> it stays in the family. The thing is, James and John had a very different understanding of what it means to belong in the kingdom of God. They were thinking of the earthly kingdom. They were really thinking that Jesus as the Messiah will going to free the whole people of Israel from the oppressions and from the hands of the Romans. And that Jesus will going to restore the rightful place in the empire. So they were thinking, Lord, when you become king, we want you to appoint us as your prime ministers because let's keep power and authority within the family. They just couldn't get it. They didn't know what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. You know, this is something that we need to ponder and reflect upon. You know, do I truly understand what it means to be a disciple? Do I truly understand what it means to be part of the kingdom of God? The two disciples and the other ten who were actually, we were told, indignant when they heard about the request, they were indignant not because they thought of James and John as mistaken, but they themselves want those positions. They were jockeying up, jockeying up for, you know, for the most important positions. They had a very... Screwed understanding of what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. They found themselves in this group, but they have very different motivations. This just reminds me, you know, of finding yourself in a place and you don't really know what's going on. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, some of my friends and I were, we were visiting the Louvre Museum, Louvre Museum, and uh, this Friends, priests of mine love museums. I don't like museums; it's just so boring to me. But, and, and I know that Louvre is one of those museums of the museum. So, I said, guys, just take your time, and you just you know go and um, take your time. Just send me a text message when you're done. And I was just walking on my own, going from one you know one art artifact. Uh, craft to another, and looking at, you know, the paintings and all of that. After an hour or so, I got a text message and said, oh, we're done. Where are you? And I said, well, I'm on my way out already. So they were talking. It's like, oh, it's just so amazing. What an amazing experience. And they just turned to me and said, so how was it for you? I said, it's great. And, and they were talking about the Mona Lisa, and I said, the Mona Lisa is here? <laughs> and I was like, this is why we are here. And I said, I need to go back. <laughs> but my point is, you know, I was not paying attention. I didn't even know why I was there. Well, I know I was there. I was accompanying them. But I, I miss, the, you know, the most important deal in the place. That's... What's going on in here with the disciples? And Jesus had to open, had to open their eyes so that they realize what it means to be a disciple. Jesus explained it to them. Whoever wishes to be great among you, which is to sit at my right and my left, or, or in my left. Whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant whoever wishes to be first among you will be the slave of all for the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many jesus was explaining to them that authentic service is the is the path to greatness but what kind of service is this what kind of service i was reading a commentary about this uh, not too long ago, a few days ago, actually from one of the great spiritual writers of our time, Father Ron Rollheiser. When he was explaining here that the kind of service, actually the word that was used in here in Greek is the word for deacons, diakonia. So we have a deacon here. uh, The the word to serve, service, the word in Greek is diakonia. And uh, where we get the word de- deacon. But according to Father Rohrheiser, R- it is not just a simple kind of service. You know, whenever we want to serve somebody, it really makes a difference when, when the person that we're serving appreciates what we do, right? We, we feel more energized. We feel appreciated. We there's something about about being appreciated of the things that we do you know when you when you serve in the pantry or um or in a soup kitchen you are more energized and inspired to do more if the people that you're serving actually appreciates what you're offering to them and if people don't appreciate what you do you know you feel like oh why am i even here why am i even doing this you know you question whether you're in the right place or not and father ron roll heister said jesus really modeled to us what authentic service is because he said i'm gonna serve you and by serving you i'm gonna give you my life I'm going to give everything that I have, which is my life. But humanity said, we don't want it. We don't want your life. We don't want your service. We don't want you offering your life to us. But despite that rejection, Jesus persisted. Jesus persevered. Despite the loneliness that he felt, because even his closest collaborators rejected what he was offering, he continued to persevere in the will, in fulfilling the will of the Father. That's what authentic service is, that is the path to greatness that the gospel is talking about. It really asks me or asks me to reflect what is really my attitude about service? Most of the time, I like to serve people who actually appreciate what I do. I don't want to serve people who are difficult. But I don't want to serve people who feel entitled. But I don't want to serve people who, who are not grateful That's just my humanity in me. But that is not the kind of service that Jesus is asking me. True service is really about self-emptying, dying from oneself. But I was asking myself, is it not that is it not that stupidity? It is not that, you know, like you're trying to enable people. But no, eventually, the changing of the hearts that should happen in the people that we serve is not really our responsibility, but it's God's grace. The word ransom in here, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not just model to us how to serve, but his service actually did something. The word ransom in the Greek original is the word litron, L-Y-T-R-O-N. And you know, litron has a very different connotation in the Bible with the way we understand ransom. The first thing, the first thing that comes to my mind whenever I when I hear the word "ransom," is payment, right? You know, when there's a kidnapping and then the person demands for ransom, meaning they are asking for a pay. But the word "ransom in the scriptures has nothing to do with payment. But rather, ransom is about liberation, brought about by divine, by divine wisdom, and power. It's liberating in the end because it comes from God's power and great love and concern for us. You know, this is one thing that we can ask ourselves in our service. Is my service liberating for people? Is my service liberates me from my ego? Or is my service becomes a stifling or stumbling block for people to see and appreciate God's presence. You know, there are situations at times wherein, you know, our service becomes like, one service becomes a stumbling block for people to see the presence of God. Because what they see is not God, but our own selves. Our own designs, our own agenda it's my way or the highway. is my presence, whether whatever relationship that I find myself into liberating? How are the people around me when, I, when I'm in their midst, you know what do they feel? How do they feel? do they? Do they look forward for me being around them? <laughs> because my presence is liberating, is freeing, and not overbearing <laughs> or stifling. That's actually the kind, of, the kind of presence that Jesus brings to our own lives. Ransom. Because in the end, what he gave us, you know, what he gave us was not just his time. What Jesus gave to humanity was not just a simple cure of making the blind see, making the lame walk, making the deaf hear. But what he gave us by his very death, by his very life, It's a liberation from sin that brought us back to the embrace of God. So that is why the ultimate service that we can give to one another. What is the ultimate service that we can give to one another? That we bring each other back to the original embrace of God. That is why the ultimate service of the church is to bring people to salvation. <laughs> it's not about providing good music. I mean, we're here for also the, 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 one of the big ministries of the school, of the, of the parish here is Catholic education. But eventually, it's not just to provide good academic and excellent Catholic education, but there is a greater plan there, which is what? Evangelization bringing our kids to a deeper encounter with God so that they truly understand that it's all about salvation in the end? Is my presence, is... Do I understand why am I'm here? And is my presence liberating? Because eventually... It brings people to a deeper encounter with the Lord.